This is the Listening Project podcast, sharing our stories to amplify our voices, a project of the RPA. We are Richmond organizers who have listened to residents who are the most harmed by some of the biggest polluters in our rich city. These are our stories. Thinking about Chevron, you know, like it's it's literally life and death um maybe not so much like in terms of like the time frame if you think about it that way but you know i think about like my daughter is very young and if she's experiencing um if she's being exposed to all these environmental pollutants that's affecting her um that's affecting her genetically and it's also affecting you know her experiences in her environment so um it definitely made me feel really upset. Hey everyone, thanks for being back with us this week. Uh, I'm Danny here with you again. Um, And you just heard from Yvonne. You heard from her last week. Um, But what you may not know about Yvonne is that she's a new mom. And that's what this episode is all about, what it's like to grow up in Richmond, to be a kid, to be on the playground. And I just want to say one thing, um, just a reminder that we are not medical professionals. We are not licensed in any way to give medical advice, um, but we do. Please call your doctor, people. Don't come to us for things. Yes, but we do a lot of research. So I just want to keep that in mind. Thank you. Thank you, Danny, for that disclaimer. It's Sol, it's La Prima La Profe, super excited to be here with you on another public health episode, going directly into um, more specifics of exactly what Danny is talking about. When you go from a baby to a child to a young adult, you know, living here in Richmond and the repercussions of having a refinery and what that does to to our our health, especially uh, when it comes to asthma. Hey folks, Alfredo back again. Uh, Marisol, you forgot to say, don't call me Mary. Uh, you, you missed it. <laughs> don't call uh, me Mary. Soul, don't call me Mary. That's right. There you go. There you go. Um, welcome, everybody. Um, I'm excited to be here again. We're going to be sharing a bunch of stories about folks that have been, um, you know, the most harmed and impacted uh, by the climate crisis. Um, you know, a lot of the reoccurring stories that we heard were regarding health issues. Um, that's a big thing in the community, uh, especially among young people who are, gr- who are growing up with all of these things in the air. Um, speaking of young people, this episode, uh, we are lucky enough to have a guest with us. We have your boy, hey. Kevin G. Ron Hernandez with us. Uh, I'll pass the mic to you, Kevin, so you can introduce yourself to the people. Hey, everyone. My name is Kevin G. Ron Hernandez. I'm an environmental justice organizer in Richmond, San Pablo. I'm a council member with the Air District, and I am also the Associate City Union President for Contra Costa College. And I'm really passionate about research, environmental justice, and air quality. And I'm really grateful to be here. Yes, thank you for joining us, Kevin. Uh, We are so excited to have you. Yeah, I think we are super excited to get into some more community voices, some folks that you've heard from, some folks that you haven't. As always, we're here to really Uh, share our stories to amplify our voices. And today we're going to be listening to a Christian first uh, who works at Urban Till, grew up in in Richmond, and then Courtney, um, who is another community leader um, in Richmond. So let's go ahead. We're constantly living or having to breathe in Chevron's pollution. So I would say the climate climate crisis is bad here. Growing up, basically everyone I knew 
had some sort of breathing issue, whether it's like asthma, but more likely than not, it's related to the refinery. Well, I live in a part of Richmond where I see the flaring. Um, I work in a place where if there is flaring, you know, um, people are concerned for not only me as an individual, but for the people I work around with. They will call me to tell me, you know, oh, wait, get the kids in. You know, this is what's happening. And it's basically we're living like kind of in a, you know, on high alert all the time. And that's unhealthy mentally for any of us, especially our children. You know, it, it's just not healthy to always be on the, like a watch guard. We have to take a break. We have to, you know, be able to breathe. And what powerful words um, from, from both Christian and of course, Courtney. And I think it shows the intergenerational kind of relationships to the refinery, to fossil fuel operations in our backyard. You know, Christian talking about growing up. And then what I really want to touch on with Courtney is you know, that we have to be our own watch guard. What does that mean for us to always be on alert and have a heightened sensitivity to issues that other communities, predominantly white and wealthier communities actually don't have to live with? And it goes back to kind of what we talked around environmental um, racism in our previous episodes and why and how black and brown folks are more impacted than other communities. I also just wanted to point out that you probably heard a little bit of music in the background. As you know, we have uh, collected these audios in real time, wherever we are at, just kind of boots on the ground, really just trying to hear and listen to our community. And uh, Courtney at that time was speaking at Urban Till's incredible event, the Harvest Festival. So um, that's why you heard that beautiful music in the background. Yeah, shout out Urban Till. That event was beautiful. I, I think I, I just want to make the point that um, not only like are we affected negatively from like the stuff that we breathe, but just the stress on us of like having this constantly in our mind, um, like we know that is is like negatively affecting our health. We know that like stress can lead to all of the other like negative health effects that we get from like the same things that like lead to like diabetes and stuff you can you can get from stress so like that is is bad enough go ahead kevin yeah i just wanted to say that um courtney really made a good point or like so really made a good point about like we have to be our own watchdogs like that makes like why do we have to do that like why do we have to live in a community where like that's a necessity that we have to watch out for our own health and we have to like be careful about like where we go not only like outside but also like the air we breathe and I feel like when growing up like most of my friends had asthma and you know despite about having like a respiratory illness it's just like it also like influences like anger and just like frustration you know like why can I go outside why can't I like hang out with like the other kids and like things like that so I feel like that's like a really good um point that court courtney made and so made as well yeah i actually was talking to someone in um, the interviewing process and they brought something up that really hit me um obviously i did not grow up in richmond i grew up in long beach and la and we have a lot of similar issues 
Um, if you've ever been in the San Fernando Valley, like on a really smoggy day, you can't see the mountains that literally encompass the valley. And that's like something, you know, it's just a similar kind of deal. But someone said that Richmond knew how to shelter in place before COVID ever came. That sheltering in place was a verb, was and yeah, like that Richmond folks already knew what that meant because of pollution, because of refinery fires, because of explosions. And um, that gave me, yeah, that gave me chills, you know, because like the whole world has been so impacted by this and yet Richmond has already been doing it. Like it's nothing new and that that's just wrong. Um, but, you know, we're going to hear more about that. And um, we're going to hear from Eduardo, council member Eduardo Martinez, Randy, um, and again from Courtney. So let's let's get into that. I was an elementary school teacher, and uh, and when when I started teaching, I thought my kids were were uh, you know didn't want to do PE, you know because because they they kept complaining about not being able to breathe, and and so uh, and so I started talking to the parents, and I found out that the more, that the majority of my students had asthma, and so uh, and so with with the uh, with some of the parents, uh, we set up a asthma club, uh, which, which um, you know, what we did was we identified which students had asthma, and then, and then you know, had to set up a, a, a different uh, PE program for them, you know, so that so that you know they wouldn't have to be taking out their inhalers during PE. It's like the silent killer because it doesn't kill you like like the next day you're gone it's like it attacks you a little bit every single day and I like you year after year you see the effects with aging where i can't walk as far or you know i have to stay in the house today or i have to do the asthma treatment more often for other people and that's that's saddening and there's nothing that can be done and especially in north richmond where they don't have a real government that can support them Right, they, like the Richmond, they're not in the city of Richmond technically. They're unincorporated, so it's really hard to get support for them. Where the county is supposed to take care of them, and they don't get those conversations because it's a bigger conversation. And so that's frustrating, especially in North Richmond. So it, it's sad, especially to our and then our young kids. Like you know, they can't go out to the park one day because oh, they're flaring and I smell gasoline, so we have to shut down school for a day. Like we have to send kids in elementary school home. Like think about the effect of that. We have to close elementary school. Parents have to leave work early to come pick up their kids because something smells like gas, which hurts them economically, and then it's killing them physically. So it's like a circle they're getting it from both ways. And you doesn't tell me that that eventually can destroy the community. I don't know what else to tell you. Yeah, um, Courtney really brings up a lot of really good points. I mean, Randy and Eduardo did it too. It's just growing up in the community and being prepared for kind of all these inevitables. Um, and we really saw that in our survey and the way that people responded. Um, we interviewed a ton of folks, like over 200 folks. And of those people, 53% said that they suffer from some sort of um, chronic respiratory illness. And of that 53%, 85% say that it has to do with asthma. 
um, and an even larger, or excuse me, an additional percent of folks said that they have more than one chronic respiratory illness. Um, and we didn't even talk to kids, um, you know, so I can't even really imagine how this impacts generations, how this impacts families, but I know y'all know a lot more about that than I do. Yeah, I remember when um, my senior year, I had to do a research project and my research project was basically about um, diesel PM, uh, using vegetation barriers to combat against diesel PM. And I was looking at using cow and viral screen, who's like a good tool to like look at your community and like the percentages of like diseases and whatnot. And we're like 91.9%, like, like the percentile of asthma rates. So it's like higher than the average in California, which is wild to me because I'm like, that's just crazy to me. Like, I never thought that was like it. And I feel like, few, well, after like a few days when I learned that, uh, I found out that my my aunt and my uncle died from a respiratory illness and they were in the hospital. And yeah, I mean, I think that like really hit a nerve to me, you know, I feel like, I mean, I was still pursuing environmental justice, but to that, I, I think that just was like the nail in the coffin. Like that was like it for me. Like I wanted to like really keep going and like really focus on like, how do I break down these barriers for young people and older folks, older generation folks? Yeah, I, I, I mean, one want to, you know, acknowledge that loss and that really common understanding that we all have um, of, you know, like, like you said, Danny, these are generational issues. These are, these health effects are felt in our community from four generations, you know, not only, uh, the older generations that have been here for you know super long, but we're seeing it. Yeah, like you said, Kevin, you know, in in your family, in our families, in our own health, um, you know, living with all of these impacts um, as as you know as parents trying to take care of children, having to close your windows and not let your kids go outside. Um, you know, like we said earlier, we have known what it means to shelter in place since way before COVID was even a thing. We've been stocking up on N95 masks since, uh, since the nineties. Um, and, and, you know, for, for younger people, for students, um, the, you know, what are, what does it mean to grow up with asthma? Uh, you know, kids are missing out on valuable learning time in classrooms, uh, because they have to stay home. They're missing out on valuable lessons, um, and not even just educationally, you know, so um, socializing with other kids, sports, health, you know, I was very limited in, in my ability to play sports when I was young, because of my asthma, um, I, you know, I had to carry my inhaler everywhere. Uh, or and if I didn't have it, then it was it was I'm, I'm not I was not playing that day. Um, but I mean, Kevin, what do you do you have any any thoughts? I mean, you're you're a young person, I'm sure that you can speak also to all of these experiences. Yeah, I mean, what I was just going to say was, um, you know, my experience is just like one of out of like a thousands in Richmond, like more than a thousand in Richmond. Like there's still untold stories mm -hmm. that still need to be collected and shared. But in terms of like classroom settings and like growing up, I grew up with asthma. You know, most of the kids in my grade grew up with asthma. Mm -hmm. Fortunately, I grew out of it. But some of the, those still like those kids that, or like my peers they still have asthma mm -hmm. unfortunately mm -hmm. and you know my, my best friend has asthma so it's just crazy to me like that's really like that's still going on it's just still going on and they're still living in richmond too 
Absolutely. And I also just wanted to touch on what struck a chord with me in particular was with um, what Eduardo and of course Randy had said as well around, you know, the fact that educators, some folks don't know that I'm a teacher at our local community college. And so I, I just have such a connection to any educator and how we are are so student centered and the fact that council member Eduardo Martinez, you know, had to one immediately assess a situation that other teachers in affluent white neighborhoods usually don't because they actually have access to nurses and to social workers and to counselors. And yet he had to and other outreach workers. And then he had to outreach, talk to the parents themselves and essentially become this bridge to what a nurse or a doctor or a counselor would be. And then a program developer to essentially create a program to say, how are we meeting our students' needs? And so how many of our teachers, and that's all I'm sure unpaid labor that was on him to do and how so many other teachers don't have to do that in other neighborhoods. And so that really struck a chord um, with me. And I know that um, it's it impacts the learning of students. It impacts you know their health, their outcomes. It impacts their entire growth. And so I'm excited to start listening to um, some more young people that uh, were actually in high school. So we have Anu, mm -hmm. who's a young person, an incredible environmental justice advocate here. In, in Richmond and surrounding areas. And then we have Lizbeth. You've heard from Lizbeth again, inspiring young person from youth uh, versus apocalypse, just out there running shit. I can't wait to work on her campaign in the future. And then after that, we're also going to listen to um, City Council member Eduardo Martinez share a little bit more uh, around his experiences. They sponsor, uh, like I said on How Chevron, sponsors they really sponsor a lot of things at our school they sponsor um uh there's this one club or program called mesa they sponsor uh -huh. that uh, it's like a robotics clothing all of that building things they sponsor um that and it's and, and no one i guess no one really wants to or do not know what they've been doing i guess so and Obviously, most people need the money, but I guess they're just ignoring all of that. I know that, um, well, like this is like I tell people, but like growing up, like I did not know Chevron was like a bad thing. Like I remember like going to like the Cinco de Mayo events or like things like that. And they them having like boots and giving away like t-shirts and stickers or um, like I remember seeing like billboards with like them like I remember there's a girl at my school and there was a picture of her on a billboard and she was like doing some kind of like engineering thing with Chevron which I remember everyone thinking that was hella cool because you know like it seemed like Chevron was giving us so many like cool like opportunities and things mm -hmm. um but and then like more recently when I learned about like what environmental racism was I realized like Chevron is literally like polluting our air our soil our water our land and like a lot of people don't realize that because um, it's been kind of like a part of our daily lives. And they also give money out to community members to make them think that, uh, you know, if I don't talk out against Chevron, Chevron won't give me more money and I need more money to, you know, to make things happen. You know, like, like, uh, 
the year that they were trying to have the city pay $90 million, you know, to give back $90 million in, in property taxes, uh, they, they did this big thing at the Contra Costa College where they give, gave out one of those big, big, you know, uh, mock-ups of a check for, for $50,000 to an organization. And so, and so they were making the big PR thing, you know, giving $50,000 away while they were taking, trying to take 90 million from the city. But they don't talk about the 90 million. And so, and so you know, there, um, there's there's a lot of uh, uh, financial influence, I guess I guess I'd call it that, uh, where where they you know give money away to get people to to show appreciation for Chevron so that they have this big PR thing, you know, saying oh the community loves us. I'm going to touch on something really quickly because I'm I'm fucking infuriated. Because what uh, Wardo was talking about, um, you know, it's under the guise of we are the community, we give so much back, but they don't recognize how much they take mm -hmm. from us. And uh, recently I was in a town hall at our local college, the Contra Costa College, with the new president, Dr. Tia um, Robins, Rob Robinson. And, um, you know, Dr. Tia Robinson, respected, you know, out, but I, I'm going to call her out. She's outside of this community. This is her very first semester here. And in this town hall in front of all of these different professors and students there, you know, she very excitedly says that she is creating single-handedly this pipeline to get students to work at Chevron and Phillips 66, another refinery near us. And so I'm there and I'm, I'm flabbergasted. And I'm just like, oh my God, this is exactly what happens when outsiders come into our community and dictate what they believe is best for the community without actually listening to our community. We are listening. We are hearing what's going on. Our high schoolers know what the fuck is happening. They know that this is Chevron's propaganda. They know that they're buying us out. And yet it's so easy to come in here and just say, yep, we're gonna get all of these new people to Chevron when it goes against the very direction that so many of our community members, our community-based organizations, our movement leaders have been going. And I wanna shout out, um, Miguel Diaz, who, who you'll hear from, who's a CBE, uh, Communities for a Better Environment intern, Chiquitito, 18 years old, fucking the only student in that town hall that raises his hand and says, wait a minute, I am a young person and I have fought since I've been in high school, and he's only 18 years old, against Chevron. How is it now that you are creating this pipeline and you say that it's going to save our community and it's going to save our students and everybody's going to have job trainings? So it just really infuriates me. So I'm just going to step back because I know there's young people out here, Kevin and Alfredo, that are really impacted and have actually gone through this. Yeah, I, I, I want to give you space, Kevin, to, to share your thoughts on this because you like you're, you know, I went to CCC, but you're currently at CCC. Um, but I, I also I was going to point out um, like that this really highlights 
uh, so you took the words right out of my mouth. So I'm kind of mad, but, um, like this really highlights what, what happens when you have like, you know, quote unquote community leaders, um, that, that come, you know, and, and lead places like the college without listening to the community, people that come and make decisions for us without actually like, like listening to us and, and, and listening to what we know to be our best interest. You know, no one, no, I, I guarantee you most of the students at, at the college don't want to partner with, with Chevron, want nothing to do with Chevron. Us young people growing up in, in Richmond understand that Chevron is not a force for good for the community. They have been polluting our air and our water and our soil, like Lisbeth said, for generations. Um, uh, but, but yeah, Kevin, I, I want to open up the space for you, Kevin. Do you have any, any, thoughts on on this this wonderful partnership well for now i'm mad at you because you took the words out of my mouth <laughs> like like you said like it's just i feel like for me because like i'm the associate student union president i feel like this is like a prime example for me i'm kind of fortunate enough to and in a sense be there because it kind of shows you a really good lesson of like you really do need to listen to your community even if like you don't know exactly like who's a part of your community or this new community you're a part of because because it's like why would you support an organization that has done so much trauma so much pain to so much people and has taken away like so much things and so it's just it just frustrates me like enough and it's just like it's a lot and it's it, it's just i don't know i feel like words can't really describe like how i felt when I was in that meeting, I was mad, I was angry, I was sad, and it was just like, um, it, it was it was just frustrating, you know. I had to leave, I had to leave, I had to like step away from that meeting, and just hearing all that, all those things that she was saying. So, yeah, I guess that's like what I, uh, I could say. Yeah, I mean, I honestly like I am new to the community and I can't even like fathom what that feels like to be in this space and to have been in this space and to hear people like bringing that rhetoric in a way that's like hopeful and jolly and like it's all good, you know, I think it's um, that's super frustrating and I kind of did some research on this because you know, I'm just a curious person. Um, and so I found out that our self-proclaimed nerve. Yeah, I'm a little nerdy, you know, um, but yeah, I like looked up how much the refinery makes their revenue, their yearly revenue, which is $134 billion. And when I, oh, excuse me, this was for 2017. I found these statistics from 2017, $134 billion. I had to count the zeros when I wrote this number down because I have never even like tried to wrap my head around that much money. And you know, the Richmond Promise um, is $3.7 million also in this same year that they give to schools. And then another like 1.2 um, for job training. Um, and you can just imagine what that, what that looks like, right? Out of a $134 billion, you know, five, about 5 million going to um, local community students. I know Alfredo knows a lot more about this, but that's just a tiny, tiny fraction, tiny fraction. And yet, you know, folks are willing to kind of forgive and forgo all the negative stuff they bring to the community for this fraction, 
you know, mm. Alfredo, you know all about this. Yeah, I, I think th this goes back to that point that Anu and Lisbeth were making. So they like to frame this as charity, but really what this is coming from is this ECIA grant, um, which we're going to try to explain to you in, in a couple seconds, this super long, complicated process that went on. Um, and, and so feel free to pitch in if you, if you hear me miss on anything. But um, so this ECIA grant program was made after the 2012 explosion. In the, in, after the 2012 explosion, Chevron needed to modernize the facility so that they could continue to operate. Um, and one of the agreements that they came with with the city in order to allow them to do that program was to provide these grants to the community. Um, to, uh, this, this agreement was entered between the city and Chevron beginning in 2016, uh, and it'll only be available for the next 10 years um, to support community and youth and youth sports. Um, they're awarded on an annual basis. The fucking refinery exploded. And remember, we've talked about this was the only class action lawsuit in the history of Chevron being here that even paid out residents for going to the hospital. We talked about that, and that was 250000 right? So that's public health going to residents. Now the city of Richmond comes in and says, bad, 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 Chevron. We need you to start paying up. You really hurt us here. And Chevron says, all right, all right, let's go ahead and we're going to make it better. But the issue that is, is really fucking annoying to me is that workers had already said many times that they needed to modernize that there was leaks in that pipe, that they needed to fix it, and Chevron ignored it. Mm -hmm. And then the city makes them pay and says, all right, not only are you going to pay students with the Richmond Promise, you're going to fund nonprofits, community-based organizations. That annual fund, the Richmond Promise, 3.7. Funding our local nonprofits, 375000 a year. And then it's only for 10 years. And they had to fight. Our city council members had to fight tooth and nail in our city attorneys. And they they are all paid with our taxpayer money. So that is our money fighting for Chevron to pay us back in scholarships. And then it just creates this cycle that we're always dependent on Chevron because of some fuck up that they do. Mm -hmm. And then at some point, the money is going to run out. And so I just think that there's... Um, there's so much more. We're going to go into funding and, and money and all of this actually in another episode called Buying Us Out. And so we're I we're going to close up right now uh, because this is just a really, really rich dialogue around the asthma club, what it means to be a young person being in school. Um, what do you see as you actually have to walk around with your inhaler, but then you have Chevron employees coming into your class saying that you should join their company, et cetera. And so we've heard a lot of those testimonials today. And so we're going to wrap up and I'll give Alfredo the floor. Yeah. So we're going to wrap up with uh, a good friend of ours that we interviewed that you've, you've heard, I believe uh, they were in the second episode. Uh, Rio, uh, they are a wonderful community uh, community member. They're an educator. Uh, they work with kids, teaching them science, getting them interested in in, in STEM programs. Super tight person. Um, let's let them close us out. 
I love my community. I love how resilient we are, although I dream for a day that we won't have to be. And I would say the thing that I probably just like love the most about Richmond is just the youth also in our community. Like recently I was helping a lot of the seniors in our program work on their PIQs and college applications. And just like being able to talk to them, like hear their stories and just learn about all the amazing things that they have been doing at their schools and for their families and just for the community it was just like, I don't know, it's so powerful. Yeah, I just wanted to real quick say that I feel like Rio just basically just highlights like her love for the community. And I felt like that love is just surrounded in like the generational like people who live, who lives in Richmond. And uh, you kind of just see that love and that connection with each other. But what I also just wanted to say is that I think in a sense, we just need to keep that love close by to us because there's still hope for the future and I feel like and you can really see that like you could just keep fighting you keep going with environmental justice and all the other different activism that you guys are doing just keep going because I feel like you could already see changes happening through like the new leadership with BACMED you know them calling out Valero with like the excessive admissions that's coming out from, from the refinery in Benicia and also mm -hmm with the LA city council, them signing an action to end all oil and gas drillings. It's like, mm -hmm. those are real things that's happening now in California. And they're gonna continue to happen here in Richmond. And I'm confident that, you know, with everyone in this call and everyone, you know, that we work with outside of this call, we're gonna try to make that happen. Thank you, Kevin, for, for joining us. Uh, I think yeah, the future is, is bright. The future is looking bright. You know, not only do we have more and more progressive people in office, but we have, you know, people like us, you know, you, me, you, Danny, Sol, Lisbeth that are in here taking over these spaces, shifting the narrative, taking back control from corporations, uh, from Chevron here in Richmond and, and working to empower our community, working to make sure that asthma club is not a thing in 10 years that it's never a thing again. Um, so I just wanted to close off saying thank you, Kevin, for joining us. Uh, thank you, everyone who spoke this this episode. Um, we are forever grateful for y'all, for your support, uh, for all the hard work that all of y'all do. Uh, and we'll see you next week. Thank you for joining us, everybody. Man, I love you, Richmond. Pride and purpose. And salute, man. Stay up. And I know I ain't the hottest, but I promise Rich City, I got us. Believe me. I got you, you got me, I got you, you got me, I got you, Rich City, I'll never let you go, you don't know that I love you, Rich, you don't know that I love you, Rich, Rich City, baby. Thanks for tuning in to the Listening Project podcast. A special thanks to the Richmond Progressive Alliance for making this podcast possible. The RPA's goal is to take power back from corporations and put it into the hands of the people. To learn more, visit their website at richmondprogressivealliance.net. Thanks so much.